what you really need to have is a culture in, a, in a, your organization where people trust each other and people know that if they say something, there will be attention, right? And it doesn't have to be that they have to tell the person right on top. They have to trust that they can tell the immediate supervisor and, it, and you know, the level's up and people will attend to it. So I, I leave a lot of decision-making to my ground staff. They should know when they need to um, highlight. They need to escalate. But otherwise, the simple things on the ground, they should be able to take care of themselves. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Paul Turn. In the day, I work a pretty normal job as a doctor in Singapore. But in my spare time, I interview successful people, mainly in Asia, with interesting career paths, hobbies or side projects. I trace their stories right back to their humble beginnings, and I ask, what do these unconventional journeys teach us? And can we similarly be more imaginative in what we do? Welcome to the Alternative CV Podcast. This podcast is produced in conjunction with Catalyst. Catalyst is a clinician-focused startup incubator and co-working space in Singapore. To find out more about what Catalyst does, visit more at thecatalyst.com.sg. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Alternative CV Podcast. Today I talk to Professor Ong Biao Chi, who is well known on the ground in the Singaporean hospital scene as being one of the best leaders around. Professor Ong is a cardiac and thoracic anaesthetist by training. She is a Master of Medicine in Anesthesia, and she graduated with the Gold Medal Award in 1992 from the National University of Singapore, Yonglulin School of Medicine. During her stellar career, she has been the lead anaesthetist in some very high-profile operations, including Singapore's first left ventricular assist device implantation in 2001, the separation of the Nepalese craniopagus twins, also in 2001, and the Iranian craniopagus twins in 2003. Alongside her clinical practice, she has an interest in patient safety, quality improvement, and clinical governance. And she currently serves as the chairman of the medical board in Sengkang Hospital in Singapore, which is a newer hospital with about a thousand beds. So in this podcast episode, we talk about what a typical day is like for the director of a medical board. We talk about leadership in general and when it is necessary to go to the ground to find out about ground issues. And of course, we go over the usual stuff about Prof Ong's journey from a young house officer fresh out of medical school to being a high-profile leader as the chairman of the medical board in Sengkang today. So without further ado, here's Prof Ong Biao Chi about her journey in leadership. Professor Ong Biao Chi, I hope we got your name right. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming here today to, to chat to me. So I think... Uh, the way I'll introduce you is that you're a cardiac and thoracic an anesthetist, right? And along with that, you are also chairman of the medical board in Sengkang. Yes, and for some of the listeners who are overseas, Sengkang is a Sengkang hospital, is a hospital in Singapore, which is not small, it's about a thousand beds, mm. uh, but it's one of the newer hospitals. And uh, you've done a lot of work also in patient safety, quality improvement, clinical governments and the like. And uh, I, I thought maybe a good starting point would be to ask you about what does a day in Professor Ong's life look like? And what's a typical day for you? Because I think a lot of us kind of recognize the title chairman of the medical board, but we don't really know what that means. Right. So it depends on whether I'm uh, doing my clinical work on that day. Then in the, if I'm doing my clinical work, it's just basically being in the operating theater with patients. Mm -hmm. right? Doing my anesthesia work. But if it's not on a clinical day, 
That means it's an admin day. Not not that you can split your day like so cleanly, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's an admin day, then it's basically running the the various uh, things that you know go oops in a hospital, right? <laughs> and you hope that they don't go oops. So then it would be forward planning, right, on what you predict might uh, you know happen, so that you're ready when when things may may come on. Right. Yeah. So I guess it's a lot of meeting, a lot of meeting people, a lot of helping people understand what they need to do, how they need to move forward. And then, of course, sometimes it's uh, settling squabbles and um, occasionally meeting patients who are not happy. Mm-hmm. Right. Or patients who may not understand why things didn't go the way they wanted it to go. Right? Oh, even on a one to one kind of setting. Uh, yes, even on a one-to-one setting, usually with, with somebody else around, right? When when the patients really can't understand what happened, we do come in occasionally to meet them and try and explain in maybe slightly more layman terms, you know, from a third or fourth party's perspective. Mm. So actually, I find that quite interesting because, I mean, coming from a point of view of not knowing what Chairman Megabot does, mm. I would imagine that it's very much like big picture strategy, everything like that. But it seems like it's very much groundwork as well, you know, to the extent where you say you're meeting patients one-to-one and also, yeah, talking to lots of people. Mm, it is, it is. I, I guess uh, because of the title, I'm, I'm not sure why it's called that anyway. <laughs> but, but, you know, because of that, maybe um, people sort of think that it sits in a boardroom, mm. right? You're, you're making yeah. decisions at a meeting place. But it's just a lot about meeting people on the ground, understanding what they do, because I think hospital is very complex, right? Sometimes, you know, the problem is with, with just a security camera, oh. right? So, for okay. example, when COVID started, right? You know, uh, for contact tracing, they'll ask you, oh, did this patient go to the toilet? Did this patient go here, go there? There was a lot of emphasis about toileting. Yes. Right? <laughs> I think you will remember that. And then I'm like, how would I know whether the guy went to the toilet? <laughs> you know, we don't trace this kind of thing. Right? So so we did have to, you know, go down and ask our security people, hey, you know, there's a camera there. Right? It's meant to look at the door, but can you just shift the angle a bit so that it captures the toilet as well? Mm-hmm. Right? I, I don't need to, to know you know, what they do inside. You just need to know who went in. And when, yeah. When, who went in after this person, right? So so it includes little things like that, right? Sometimes I feel that you, unless you're there on the ground yourself, you don't really understand what the problems are, right? When, when you think about it, it seems very logical. Oh, why don't you do this, 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 this? Or how come this happened? But when you're on the ground with the staff, then you realize actually... You know, the, the system is made to fix you up and trip you up. <laughs> so unless you understand these things and uh, try and resolve it. Otherwise, everybody is frustrated no? because from, from, in a sense, from my point of view, I'm like, how come this happened? Why don't you just do this? And, and the guys on the ground are like, but it can't be done right, for whatever reason. Mm. Right, yeah. So th- that's why we, we do go down to the ground. But I feel like that's a lesson that's kind of generalizable, not just in leadership in, in your context, but mm-hmm. leadership in general, right? Because, you, you know, this idea about going down to the ground. I, I wonder how much you think it's, because you can't meet everybody, you can't, you can't go down to the ground all mm-hmm. the time. Where, how, how much, well, internally, do you have some kind of compass to tell yourself, oh, this is a time when I need to go down to the ground? Or, or how do you save yourself from being like overwhelmed mm-hmm. on the other mm-hmm. hand? Mm-hmm. That, that's a very good question. There's always a balance, right? Because if everybody's on the ground, nobody's making big decisions. It mm. doesn't work out. Like, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think, I think 
what you really need to have is a culture in, a, in a, your organization where people trust each other and people know that if they say something, there will be attention, right? And it doesn't have to be that they have to tell the person right on top. They have to trust that they can tell the immediate supervisor and, it, and you know, the level's up and people will attend to it. So I, I leave a lot of decision-making to my ground staff. They should know when they need to um, highlight. They need to escalate. But otherwise, the simple things on the ground, they should be able to take care of themselves, right? Otherwise, like you say, I'll be overwhelmed, mm. right? So, so you need to entrust people to make the decisions that they can make and to know when they can't make it and they need to escalate, right? So that's, that's where the balance is, I think. And of course, sometimes it's sensing, sensing, you know, where the issues are going to come up with and, and, you know, little, little, little problems that add up to a big problem. You want to try and catch it when it's a little problem. Yeah. I'm interested to know when you feel internally that, okay, this is something that mm -hmm. I ought to go and see for myself mm -hmm. or, or, you know, go down to the ground for yourself. Well, like I say, of, very often it's uh, people telling you, hey, you know, this has happened or sometimes even patients' complaints, which are quite important. Sometimes when a patient complains, it's not about that care. It's about the surrounding things that happen, right? And usually I will ask the person involved, uh, the staff involved, what their input is, right? Because you really don't want to jump in and then, you know, and then everybody thinks, oh, my, my senior management is not on my side. They're always on the patient's side. Not that we want to cite anybody. It's always about the best care, right, in a reasonable manner. The best care should not compromise your staff welfare either, mm -hmm. right? It should all be a balance. And if you need to have more things, more staff to get the best care, that's where we come in, mm. right? But sometimes it's just about, you know, the sensing when somebody tells you, hey, did you hear about this? And some things I sort of go, yeah, well, it's just one of those things, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you go, it's very strange. Now, mm. why did this happen, right? Mm. I think it also helps when I, I do still work on the ground with them. So I do um, anesthesia work, let's say, in the operating theatre. And then you actually see, oh, hmm, okay, <laughs> this is what happens, right? Right. Of course, the people around me all tell me, I, uh, boss, when you're here, everything's fine, on a, right? <laughs> but it still gives you that, that feeling that, you know, this is how things work. And in general, people, in a sense, pay a lot of attention. Maybe in the first case, right? Everybody's like, mm, okay. But after a while, everybody relaxes also. So mm -hmm. you, you sort of get a feel of what actually happens. And then it's opportunity to walk to the neighbor, you know, and say, hey, this is how you're doing things. Or just look for yourself. Yeah, right? mm -hmm. yeah, I see. And it's a very interesting point where you brought up about complaints, kind of, kind of highlighting and spotlighting areas mm -hmm. that might be... Uh, indicative of a of a larger problem mm. i suppose i mean i was reading about say jeff bezos right and he puts his 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 email even though he's ceo of amazon um mm. he puts his his email address for everyone to to be able to email him and, and then when customers shoot him an email to say you know this is not right then sometimes he gets tons of emails but if you see something that he thinks mm. is a problem then you can uh, pass it on to his, to the appropriate chief of staff mm. yeah Yes. So, so yeah, I think in this day and age, people are very free to email you. Eh? Um, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a, a problem with that. But I think the decision is also when to personally step in, mm -hmm. right? And when to sort of say, hey, folks, deal with this. Yeah. Right, yeah. And uh, I can also see a lot of parallels to medicine, which is the world which we're both mm -hmm. in. I mean, because in medicine, you also you have like 
a certain hierarchy in that you have mm. your house officers, you have your medical officers, and then your registrars and your consultants after that. And there a lot of things you can say, okay, your house officer, your medical officer, okay, can you can settle mm. it and then mm. you don't have to step in, you don't have to be overbearing. But sometimes things will stand out at you which you think, okay, this is something is not right. And it's also your clinical judgment mm-hmm. and then you will come and see for yourself. You will like wake up and then come and see for yourself, see mm. how the patient is doing, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's actually very interesting that you brought up, man. Because sometimes I, I tell my juniors, it's about pattern recognition, right? And unfortunately, in school, it's very difficult to teach pattern recognition, right? We teach the science and we try and teach the art, how you talk to patients, but pattern recognition comes with many years of experience, and sometimes even with experience, if you are not acutely aware of these things, you might it might not tie up into a picture. So, for example, I can get a blue letter, right? We get blue letters. And Sorry, when you just read... interrupt. Blue letters, referral, <laughs> referral, yeah. Referral to a specialty. <laughs> okay, yes, yes. Blue letters make you turn blue, yes. <laughs> you, you can get this referral letter, right? Written by a junior. Very nicely written. Okay, and then you sort of think, something's not right here. Okay, it, it doesn't tie up. Sometimes I ask my junior one question, and they're like, why do you ask it? And then they call me back very excited. Yeah, 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 you're right. Why did you think of that? And then I'm like, well, because when this story follows this, follows this, follows this, usually this happens. It has not happened yet, but maybe you didn't look at it. Mm. right? And sometimes when we come, I've seen my juniors uh, trawling over this whole, you know, voluminous case notes, right? And when we come and see the patient, I take one look and I say, "Mm, if I were you, I wouldn't do this case. Okay, because it's just a look of the patient. Right, you just feel that something is not right. So I just say, if I were you, I think I wouldn't do this patient. Now you go into the case note and find a reason why you wouldn't do it. Mm. As compared to another time when, when a junior would have come up with maybe 10 reasons why they wouldn't do it, I take a look at the patient and I say, well, I think it's fine. <laughs> right? We'll be fine. So, so some of these are pattern recognition, which is not that easy to come by. And I realize it's not just years and experience. It's also whether you, you sort of, as you go along, you put this in this little bricks into a picture. And the next time the same picture comes along, you say, hey, it's a rainbow. Right? It's not seven colors. It's a rainbow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And you find that to be the case as well with, say, dealing with higher kind of management issues. So say like uh, patient mm. complaints and things. Mm. Are you, do you find that with your experience, you can now say that actually this is what this patient really needs, you know, not in, and they, they might have not got solutions or, or appropriate answers from other people. But then because of the weight of experience, which you've had over your, your long career, you, you can say that you, you can tell better that this is what they need. I would like to think that Sometimes, yes, that's the case. I wouldn't say all the time. Mm-hmm. Because from, from unlike clinical work, there is less science and there's more human behind a patient's experience, mm. right? And as much as we try and say that we empathize with a patient, I, I sometimes find that this word empathy <coughs> is, is very unreal, okay? I, I, might, I might listen to you, I might underst- try and understand and... and um, appreciate what you're saying, but there's no way that I can live your life, mm. right? And I yeah. don't know what is inside the background of your life that influences your thinking of the same episode, you see, correct? 
So that's also why when you ask me, do I sometimes go down and, and meet patients myself? Yes, sometimes I do because I can see that this is a deadlock and there's something else that's not uh, unlocked here. And sometimes that's where a new face, a new person coming in with no prejudices. I just say, you know, I understand that you've, you've had a not the best experience. Maybe you could tell me, you know, what it is that's really not good. Right? I know you have, you have described all these things like, to my juniors, but what is it really that matters to you? Right? What is it really that irks you? Right? And sometimes that's when it comes out. Because, I don't know, in, the, in your past, maybe in your own uh, family, you've seen something like that, and it's bringing back that memory. Right? And that's where you know, we can come in and hopefully get over this. And sometimes the patients are very appreciative. Once you resolve that, they sort of feel well, the rest of it, You'll be surprised patients are actually very kind. The rest of it, they're, they're like, okay, I'm not out here to get your doctors or your nurses. Right, yeah. so, so that's a bit more human. And I have to say, because it's a bit more human, despite, let's say, even, not, not that I have that much experience dealing with such things. Despite the years, every experience is a new experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Every encounter with a, a person is a new encounter. Coming back to what we were talking about earlier about um, splitting a time between admin work and clinical work, do you have a particular way of doing that? Or, I mean, like setting aside some days or, or what kind of percentage split do you have? Mm, it's random. I try my best to set aside at least a day or two to do clinical work. I think after all said and done, clinical work is a sanity time, right? Because it's something I enjoy. So, so it's, it's some of my, my colleagues tell me she's escaping from all of us <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, hiding inside the theater kind of thing. But uh, I think many folks, it gives me time to connect, time to really understand what, what happens on the ground without having to ask the questions. So I do try and set aside a bit of time. But of course, when, when there is a need to resolve more pressing issues or when there are important meetings, then, you know, those days are just not the clinical days. Because when you're with a patient, you really don't want to be massively interrupted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still have to solve the problems, which may, you know, what I call the oops of the day. But in general, you try not to have, you know, other distractions. Mm, yeah, mm. especially in the line of work which you're doing, which is uh, mm. anesthesia where you yeah, really yeah. want uh, yeah. undivided attention, really. Mm. Yeah. I'd like to take you back to the start of mm-hmm. your uh, of your journey. Mm. So right now you are, you're, yeah, I mean, you're, you're near the pinnacle already and as chairman of the medical board, if, if I can say so. But from the start, did you, did you know that you wanted to go and into leadership? Yeah, how, how, do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you end up going from from, say, a house officer to, to, end, to being in, in a leadership position. Mm. Did you know that you always wanted to do it? And the reason why I ask this is because I think, as, as I was sharing with you earlier, you know, through, through text, that basically a lot of us junior doctors, we are just focused very much on our, on our immediate clinical. training, clinical mm. training, but we, mm. we're not very aware of uh, the different paths that, that can branch out from it, you know, subsequently mm. in, your, in the later stages of our careers. Hmm. No, the answer is no, absolutely not. Okay, because like like most people, admin career is not seen as very medical. I think in those days, in fact, the the you know top management are not doctors in many places, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and like you say, we are all focused on our clinical training, right? So, <clears throat> this is a very interesting story. 
Well, yeah, go for it. We, we love interesting stories. Yeah. So when I was a consultant and I thought, okay, I've arrived, I've gone for my HMDP, I'm trained and everything is, is great. Okay. So after a while, honestly, what we do, we do almost on a spinal reflex, mm-hmm. what I call a spinal reflex. Like you're just so well trained, you look at it and then occasionally one out of 10 cases, you go, wow, this is exciting. The rest of the time it's like, okay, I've done this for the last, you know, I don't know, 10 years. Okay. No, no issues. Right. And then one day I found in my pigeonhole, and in those days, we, we don't have our own office, it's a shared office. So your pigeonhole is about maybe three inches thick. <laughs> so I found this uh, one and a half inch thick book inside my pigeonhole. And I took it out and I said, what in the world? Okay, and it said a joint commission, you know, JCI, the, yes. the Joint Commission Accreditation, International Accreditation which is a U.S. Uh, body of accreditation for medical facilities. So I flipped through the book and I said, oh, I, I don't know where this came from, but what the heck. So it went into the bin. Okay. So after about, <clears throat> by the end of the day, when I finished my list, so about five, six o'clock, I felt a bit guilty throwing a one and a half inch thick stack of paper into the bin. So I picked it up and I was going to transport it to a recycle bin. Right, so I left it in my pigeonhole. And that night, this lady, okay, I will say her name, Gyoing, if she's uh, listening, <clears throat> she was the one who started me on this dark path of admin. Not, <laughs> not that, not that it's her fault, okay, but <clears throat> in history. <clears throat> so she, she basically said, "Do me a favor, just read one chapter." There were thirteen chapters, okay. Just read one chapter. So I said, some of the chapters are like you know, management, safety of the facility. Why would I care? So she said, no, 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 I read the chapter that has got clinical uh, implication, which is COP, okay? Uh, Clinical operations and processes, okay? So I read the chapter and then I realized, hey, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) These are a lot of things that we don't realize day to day as clinicians, but they make a lot of sense because if you can get all these things right, it actually makes it safer for the patient, makes it better for you. And, and you know, all this uh, fallouts between when I send a patient from A to B to C to D, which still happens sometimes now, maybe we can make a difference. Okay? So that's how it all started. And then <clears throat> she got about, I think, there were 13 chapters. So she got 13 people interested in different chapters. And we came together. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's how it started. That's yes. 13 chapters. Yes. And then and then it took us another two years, believe it or not, to even argue whether it was still worth doing this. Finally, management at that time said, yeah, why don't you just give it a try? It was once off, you know. I mean, you, you don't have to do it the second time, the third time, or the fourth time. But the, the history goes that we have done it many, many times, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's time to review now because uh, it's another day, another age. But at that time, the very first one went in about almost three years after this book appeared in the pigeonhole, right? So I think that's how it started, right? So it's an <clears> audit <throat> of the entire system. In a sense, in a sense. Audit is a bad word, uh, but okay. it's, a, it's a, in a sense a learning experience. And, yeah. and then it's a manual. So at least you know what you're following. I think a lot of times we are we are we do our best. We are we are very well intentioned, but without something to guide, sometimes it's 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 a little bit haphazard, right? Now, when there's something to guide, doesn't mean that everything applies, right? After all, it comes from US. You you really have to adapt. But to be very very frank and honest, I think sometimes when we say, "Oh, it doesn't apply," it's not true. It's not really true, right? So from there, I started doing patient safety. Mm-hmm. Because one of the chapters is uh, safety and quality, 
So I was asked to lead in this patient safety and quality thing. Okay, so that was uh, part two of, they say, you know, you have crossed over to the dark side. Okay, so <laughs> that, that was dark side number two, right? And then slowly from there, I went to clinical governance. And when I first started, I must say, most clinicians didn't understand the word patient safety. I think now almost everybody understands it, mm -hmm. right? But in those days, if I go up to a clinician and say, hey, can I talk to you about patient safety? The standard answer is, I'm the best in my field. I'm an expert in my field. Are you telling me that I'm unsafe? And sometimes I sort of say, uh, well, yes. <laughs> because you actually don't know what your house officers and all that do, right? We had medication errors. We had people giving insulin, which is 10 times, 100 times overdose. Mm -hmm. And in those days, I think very few things are reported. You, if you get away with it, you get away with it, right? But on the total picture, it's actually um, unsafe, right? So not, not that we have cured the problem, but we try and move one step forward, right? So that was where, where it all started. And I think now a lot of people know about it because we have made a conscious effort to go into the schools, even in the undergraduate, in yes. the, you know, lectures, even, even in your residency program, there's a requirement of doing um, one quality improvement cycle yeah. or project, right? Yeah. So, so I think we have made effort to, to systematize this teaching so that people know it's not just about me and my patient, right? And the science of medicine and the art of medicine. It's also about the systems. Right, yeah. So so that's how it all started. And then, of course, one thing led to another thing, led to another thing, and led to another thing, which uh, brought me to where I am in a most unplanned manner. <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, so I think it's often useful for people to see that it's it's just these small steps that, that mm. bring you to, to where you are because often it's easy to look at somebody there and then think, oh, I could never mm. do that. Mm. But really it's, uh, I love your story because it's about something which you got interested in. Mm. And then from the passion which you had uh, in say clinical governance, patient and safety, and then pursuing projects then which brought you mm. progressively to where you are now. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think you brought out a very good word, which is passion. So passion is, is very important, whatever you do, right? Don't, don't think that there is an avenue that you can't open. I think passion is something that you, if you have a passion, find the correct people who can help you, right? And the other thing is curiosity. I must say I'm a very curious person. I always like to find out. I, I, I ask my engineers, hey, why is this like that? Nah? How come the light is like that? Nah? And then they explain things to you. Right? And they enjoy this conversation because they feel that they're a part of the medical care and they contribute because I tell them, oh, I see, that's why the light is like that. Then the surgeon's head doesn't get hot. right? And then there's no shadow on the thing. Wow, so clever. Mm. And then they will say, oh, people appreciate it. I should do more to improve. right? Then as a team, we can, we can really improve. Of course, some people tell you that a cat has nine lives, right? And they'll always tell you, you, I hope you're not on your ninth line. Because <laughs> you might drop off. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and something which speaks to me as well, is, is like, it seems like sincerity is, is a huge part of it as well. Like with your passion, you are doing things seriously for the patient's uh, safety. And, and, for, and when you ask out of curiosity, it really, there's, a, there's a sense of sincerity in it as well, which is why people are more willing to say, support you in all these um, mm -hmm. uh, pursuits that you're doing. I think that's that's also important. Uh, trust that you are you are you know your in your intention is good, even though the outcome might not be 
the best. Okay, we, we all intend the best, but sometimes, well, it doesn't go the way that you thought it, it should, right? And in fact, the current COVID situation probably is a very good example, right? Who knows? Who knows, right? Nine months ago, we didn't know that we would be here. So everybody just has to try their best and put their best foot forward. And, and somebody texts me and said, wow, I hope that we get out of this as friends, right? Because sometimes you can get so passionate about certain things and so upset about certain things that you, you end up saying the wrong things, right? So I think sometimes it's, it's, it's important to also look back, reflect, apologize when apology is required, mm -hmm. right? And genuinely learn. So for example, I mean, I'm not a microbiologist, I'm not a virologist, I'm not even an ID physician. How do you make the correct decision? Is to bring people together, right? People with the expertise. And people must feel free to say what they really want to say. I've had someone who sort of said, oh, yeah, don't be so stupid. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, fine. So what is so stupid about it? And sometimes when you ask those questions, the person actually also reflects that maybe it's not so stupid after all. <laughs> Right, so it's a bilateral, but it's okay. I always say that, you know, you may not like my idea, I might not like your idea, but we can still be friends, right? We, we can have a heated argument, but it, it's nothing personal, right? And we, we move on. And, and I must say, I've made a lot of friends in different industries in this experience. People from MOM, people from, you know, SCDA, prisons, because, you know, everybody was deployed out to the FAST team in the dorms. And these are the people you have to work with. How do you handle, you know, 10,000 foreign workers, right? How do you do this? How do you do that? And everybody came up with their ideas. It was great. I didn't realize, I mean, the first day we, we just went in and we, we were taking blood almost in the dark, right? The there's, dark. No light. Yeah, there's no light. When the, when the cloud goes over, you're like, okay, what happened to my light, right? And then it was the people in the FAST team who came and said, oh, this, do you all need light? I said, whoa, of course we need light. And overnight, like in half an hour, 10 people appeared and the lights appeared. Wow. <laughs> They're fast team. <laughs> yeah, fast, fast, really. I mean, I was like, huh, why didn't you tell me it was all so easy to do this, right? And then they said, well, we didn't know that you, you needed and you didn't say it was so, <laughs> which is true. Sometimes you, you take it for granted, right? I mean, surely you should know we need lights, but, you know, they don't. But they were also kind enough to come and look and say, mm, this doesn't work. Right, so so that's how you know, getting to know people and everybody coming forward actually makes things easier. Mm. And don't be too rigid. There are many many ways to solve a problem. Right, I always say there's no problem. There are only solutions. Right. <laughs> this podcast is produced in conjunction with Catalyst, which is a clinician-focused startup incubator and co-working space in Singapore. To find out more about Catalyst, visit their website at thecatalyst.com.sg. Special thanks to Dr. Reina Damawan and the team at Catalyst for their help in making this episode of the Alternative CV Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, do consider subscribing if you haven't done so already or sharing this episode with your friends. I'd love for more people to benefit from this. If you've got something to say, you can always reach out to me at poll, that's P-A-U-L, at alternativecv.fm. Leave a review, get in touch, pick up the conversation, anything you want to talk about. You can also find show notes about everything that we've talked about and any references we made at alternativecv.fm. See you next week. Mm -hmm.